0: Hi, tonight is Sunday, September 10th. This is Sefa Kirschblum. It is the fourth on varieties of Tshuva as we lead up to Rosh Hashanah. Okay, so we are going to start with a quick review um, from last week, Um, just so we can have an appreciation of Hagar. Obviously, I think we thank God having an appreciation for Avram and Sarah, But I think to see Hagar in hopefully a slightly new light... Um, and to appreciate what is so unique about her and why we should acknowledge her as so unique. Um, And as we review and then build into um, the rest of the story, it will hopefully mean even more as we sit in shul on Rosh Hashanah um, and get to read the chapter we're going to do later tonight on the first day of the Torah reading um, in shul. So. With that, let us quickly go back to Ted Zion. So this was on last source sheet, but I put it back on so that we could do that quick review together. So we said that Pasuk Aleph in Ted Zion was almost a thesis statement. It was almost our introduction to our characters, but also of pretty much every issue that is going to, be unpacked, um, in this dynamic as we go through the text. So one more time. So we said last, last week that, of course we know that number one, Sarai was Avram's wife. And number two, of course, the first thing we heard was that she didn't have children. So this is so unnecessarily repetitive, but it is clearly going to be the heart of all of the issues that are going on so far that number one, she can't have children, but number two, she perceives herself and rightfully so as the wife, as the woman of the house, the mistress of the house. But she does have this mitri servant whose name was Hagar. And we highlighted that Hagar was yes, a maidservant, but I'm sure they had tens of maidservants and I'm sure they could have afforded to pay any woman that they wanted to become the surrogate of their their child. But there's something about her. There's something unique to Hagar that they are impressed enough about that they want her DNA. In this child of Avraham's, I think, I imagine it's a combination of the DNA that they think she is incredibly special and unique. And again, based on that pasuk, I think Sarah assumes that I'm the wife, she's been my shifra, so she understands the roles. She understands the dynamic that I'm still the isha, I'm still the wife, and she is still the servant. She's just doing an act of service as part of her shifrut or her avdut. So Sarah comes up with this plan to Avraham that ulai ibn right, take my shifra, take Hagar and maybe I will be built through her, right? Possibly that we said either the surrogate concept that you know she will be um taking this child, Sarah would take the child as soon as it's born, or we also mentioned that other theory that Ulay ibn maybe once I'm not under so much stress. Maybe once I don't have the pressure to provide an heir for Avraham, my body will relax enough, literally, to be able to get pregnant on its own. Either way, she gives Hagar over to her husband, Miketz Eser Shanim, right? After 10 years of being in Israel, and he marries and takes Hagar. Hagar in Pasuk Dalit immediately gets pregnant, right? And that shifts so much in her mind. As soon as she is pregnant, right? Now, Sarah is khal; She is light. It's wow, that's unimpressive. Wow, why would God give me this pregnancy? I must be that much more special than Sarah, right? I thought she was something special. I thought they were wow. Avram is clearly special, but I'm even more special. Then Sarah, because I got pregnant. And sadly, I think many of us go into that mindset. If God grants certain people different blessings in their life, We assume that they are more worthy than us. And I think this is such an important and significant story to remind us it's not a checks and balances in that way. That's not how God defines something. If we don't get something that we are praying for, it doesn't mean that it's because we don't deserve it or we're not as good or we're not worthy. It's literally part of the story that we have to let unfold of our lives. That doesn't mean we should stop praying and we shouldn't stop trying. But it's that reminder, it's not necessarily a f- reflection that there's anything wrong. But she is no longer treating Sarah with respect, right? We gave the ideas that maybe she's saying, oh, I can't cook tonight. I'm just too nauseous, right? Oh, I can't, you know, mop the floors. My back is just hurting too much. You wouldn't know. You've never been pregnant. But I can tell you that psh, it's a lot. So I'm so sorry I can't do it, right? Obviously, this rubs Sarah the wrong way. But we highlighted it in Pasa K, she doesn't yell at Hagar, right? She yells at her husband, right? She turns to Avraham and she says, alacha. this is your fault, right? Number one, why are you silent when all of this is happening? Why aren't you defending me? Where are you, right? And the other idea we brought up is she was saying, when all those times you daven to Hashem, all those times you prayed and pushed back, you kept using the word I for you, Avraham. Where was the we? Where were where were the triload of saying, "We want a child? Where are we inheriting from right So she throws both of those ideas at him, and ultimately Avram's response in Pasuk Vav, right Hine she's yours you can do whatever you want, right meaning I don't have an emotional bond to Hagar. this is your your woman, your issue, your thing. you can deal with it, and I support it. I fully support whatever you choose, Sarah. And sadly, right? Sarah oppresses her in some way. She causes her to suffer in some way to the point that Hagar runs away from this house. And we said last week that according to the Ramban, right, first and foremost, highlighting the word Imenu. She is one of the Imahot. As much as we are looking at the story and analyzing, we cannot forget the covered and honor and respect we need to see all of these characters with, but at the same time that this was definitely a mistake, especially from the Ron bonds perspective. And he says, what goes around comes around and that Hagar's children are therefore going to make Sarah's children suffer in the future. But. We're almost up to where we uh, got to last week. Pasuk Zayin, Vaim Tsa Malach Hashem, Al in Hamayin, Bamidbar, Al Hain B'derech This angel of God finds Hagar, right? And Pasuk Red vayomer, and he says to her, Hagar, shivchat sarai, Emi Zabat, V'anateleichi. Right, where are you coming from? Hagar, the servant of Sarah, where are you coming from? Where are you going? V'tomer, and she says, Mepnei sarai Gvirti Anochi Borachet. I am running away from my master, Sarah. And this is where we ended off with highlighting a few things. Number one, why is she not off put by the fact that he knows her name? He knows her job. He knows she's running away, right? Everything about this is weird and she's just chill and she just answers calmly, right? Like, oh yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm running away, right? So we answered and this is what we ended with last time. She's clearly used to this, seeing Angels is not a foreign concept to her, which again is just reaffirming the concept of, wow, this woman has seen angels. She is comfortable having a conversation with a mala Hashem. This is not just a shifra. This is not just a servant. This is not any old woman. This is a woman spectacular enough. That an angel is in dialogue with her and she's comfortable with it right because clearly she knows he's an angel why does he know her name why does she know he knows that she's running away so many questions that doesn't bother her because she knows he's literally an angel which we'll see at the end that she acknowledges it verbally right and then the last thing we highlighted is he asks where are you coming from where are you going and her only response is i'm running away from sarah right really saying, I don't have a destination. I actually haven't thought this through, and I actually don't care where I'm going. I just want to get away from Sarah. That's how bad it is. I just want out. Okay, so that's our recap. And now we jump right back in. New to us now, Pasuk Tet. Vayomer Hashem, the angel now says to her, right? And I imagine pretty sternly and pretty harshly, shuvi el gvirteh v'hit'ani ani yadehah right go back go back elgiveirtekh right notice he uses that word very consciously go back to your master and hit ani tacha you need to be able to deal with it you're right you might have to suffer under her hand that's the life of a shifra right that's a life you signed up for so you're right. You were pregnant and that was quote, quote, rough on you in those terms. That's the situation that you're in and deal with it. Right. You don't hear much empathy. Right? He's not like, Oh, I'm sorry. It's so rough. Oh, oof. I hope it gets better. I'm sure if you have a conversation with Sarah, you can talk this out. Mm-mm, mm-mm. He doesn't say talk it out. He doesn't say you should have a heart to heart with Sarah. None of that. It's are you freaking kidding? Go home, deal with it, and tolerate it because that's what it is. She's your master. You're her servant. And you're right. Sometimes you're going to feel like you're suffering. Is what it is, right? But he's not done. Hashem, If you go back, God will multiply your children tremendously. You won't be able to count them. There are so many. Now to me, especially for tonight's Jior, this is probably one of the most monumental psukim. Because what does this sound exactly like? Who got a very similar promise? Avraham, right? This sounds just like the promise Avraham got. You're going to have children that are going to multiply To such an extent, you won't even be able to count them, right? And what did we say in the beginning of this parak? What was Sarah so upset about? That he didn't include her, that Avram didn't include her. And it almost makes the text feel like God's not including her either, right? God, it sounds like, is including Hagar. Hagar, you get to hear this bracha. You get to hear that you're going to have a child that is going to multiply to such an extent you won't even be able to count them. And then he says, Aleph Vayomer La Hashem. Then the Malach says to her, ben. You are going to get pregnant and give birth to a son, the Shemo and you will name him Yishmael Kishamah Hashem Al-Anyh, because Hashem has heard your suffering. And there's very interesting comments on uh, the different mafarshim on this Pasuk, because the way the grammar is written is, hara, you will be pregnant, meaning I, I thought she was pregnant, right? We heard back in Pasuk dalid that she was pregnant, and now it's making it seem like she's going to become pregnant. And therefore, there are Mufarshim that say she actually miscarried, and Ulai, that's why she ran away. That she felt like, okay, my mission, you know, clearly failed, didn't work out, and I don't want to do this, right? Like, it. I'm too embarrassed to show Sarah that I, too, couldn't carry the child, and so I'm just running. And therefore, all the more so, mm-hmm. you're right, you're going to have to be embarrassed and admit it, you know, from your perspective, that you see this as, you know, maybe you aren't as great as you thought you were if everything in her mind is a, Literally, you get if you're good enough and you don't get if you're not good enough. And therefore, if you go back, then you'll get pregnant again. And you will have a son whose name is Ishmael because Hashem heard your suffering, meaning this is our first inclination of this idea that she also talks to God, right? That she also has a relationship with Yudke Vavke because he heard her, right? He heard her cries out to him, Pasuk bet. And here's the interesting prophecy of her of her son Yishmael. who para Adam. He will be a wild animal of a man. his hand will be on everything. Viad kolbo, and the hands of everyone will be on him. kol and he will live on top of his brothers. Like literally, there'll be so many, they'll just be living on top of each other, right? And what's crazy about this pasuk is it actually describes many of the arab community pretty well right incredibly intense with a certain element of a wild element yeah doba their hands are on everybody else and everybody's hands are on them right it's not like they are a nationality that gets along well with other nationalities, right? And, and they literally can live on top of each other, very number one, family oriented, but two, the apartment buildings are very um, they're very tight and very insular in that sense. But as much as it's an intense prophecy, there's nothing really negative. There's there's passion right para adam this wild animal of a man you hear passion and energy right adoba kolviad kolbo there's everything is this intense emotional energy definitely a physical component but also this like unified vibe of this child and his descendants right she hears this prophecy Gimel. Vatikra Shem Hashem Ata Right? Meaning, in case we were wondering, does she understand who's talking to her? Does she appreciate who's talking to her? She names the place Hashem is speaking to me. This is where God revealed Himself. Literally, I feel like I saw God. Right? God spoke to me and I feel like his presence was visible to me here. And she names the well that's there, the well of the living being appeared to me, right? The living God appeared and made himself known to me. He named Ben Kadesh Ubben Bared. And then it tells us where it is. Right? So interesting. The text never actually says she went back, right? It's inferred. Because she ends up having a child, right? So we assume she went back. But it never actually tells us explicitly that she went back, right? It depends how long did she process this prophecy? How long did she wait before she went back? Unclear. But ultimately, she does go back. She gives birth to a son. Kra Avraham Shem Beno, Asher Yilda, hold on, next page, Hagar Yishmael, he names his son that Hagar birthed Yishmael, right? And again, the Mepharshim debate, did Hagar tell him this prophecy, which I would assume, right? Or did he get his own prophecy to name him Yishmael? And Avram was 86 years old when Yishmael was born, right? And that's the end of that story. And we don't, again until the next chapter that we're reading, hear about the dynamic between Sarah and Hagar, right? That was, that was chapter 16, 17, 18, 19, 20. It does not talk about the dynamic at all. We don't hear how Sarah takes it, but based on what we're about to see in Parakraf Aleph, Sarah did not take this child in as her own. She did not treat it as a surrogate at all. It was Hagar's child. Now, also incredibly important before we enter into Paragraph Aleph is to understand the social dynamic back in the day, the social hierarchy, I would say. Any child of a servant is considered a servant, meaning even if the father of the child is the master of the house, it does not change the status of the child. The child of a servant remains a servant. It's just fact and status. There were many, many um, masters of the house that would often marry some of their servants, one to have more children, etc. And the children of those servants were always seen as servants as well. Okay, so with that backdrop, we are now going to enter into Parikh which is the parak that we are going to read on the first day of Rosh Hashanah. So for sheet parakafaliph Pasakalif the Hashem Pakad Et Sarah Kaasher Amar Vayas Hashem Lisarah Kaasher Diber. And Hashem remembered Sarah just like he said he would, and he did to Sarah exactly what he had promised. Right? We were, we skipped the Prakim, um, at about five Prakim and in those Prakim is when the angels, those three angels came to visit and told Sarah that she was going to have a child one year from then, right? The story of when she laughs, and the parak before that is when Avraham hears, and he laughs, right? And hence the name Yitzhak is going to literally be born. But they are aware that this is going to happen. They were told by a malach, but as we're going to see, and as the story unfolds, this is at least 14 years later. Okay, meaning it told us when Avram got his Brit Milah and when Yishmael got his Brit Milah. And that was Yishmael was already 13 when he got the Brit Milah. And that was right before Sarah finds out she's going to have a child in a year. So meaning we're talking at least 14 years if everything was exactly at the time right after. So we're going to see Avram is going to be 100 years old when Yitzhak is born. Sarah will be 90 Um, So the years are clear in the text. So if we thought 10 years in Israel was a long time that she waited before she brought Hagar after Yishmael's birth, 13 more years pass. So they have lost all hope. So to appreciate this parak is to appreciate the shock and joy. But in a real tzchok, right? In a real shocking way that everything is unfolding. So Hashem remembers her. And then Pasuk Bet, V'tahar. She gets pregnant. vatiled Sarah L'Avraham Ben. And she gives birth to a son. Ben Lizgunav, right? A son in his old age. asher diberu At the exact time that God promised. Pasmel ve kra avram at chembino Han laddlo a sheial dalo sarah Yitzrak, and Avram names this boy that was born to sa Yitzrak pasek dalid vaya mal avraham at Yitzrak Bio ben schmona Ya mimm kahirsiva o and God I'm sorry, and Avram gave. Yitzhak a brit milah when he was eight days old just like hashem commanded and the pasuk is so significant because yitzhak is the first person to get a brit milah at the quote quote right time meaning avram already had a brit milah but he was 99 when he got his brit milah and ishmael had a brit milah but he was 13 when he got his brit milah and the mitzvah explicitly said when a baby is eight days old so I can imagine the emotion of Avraham being able to give his son a brit milah at exactly the time that God intended, at eight days old. Pasuk Ba Avram ben Meat Shana b'hi va'leidlo at Yitzchak Avram is a hundred years old when Yitzchak is born. Pasuk vav, va'Tomer Sarah. Sarah says, "Zovok asali Elokim kol Yitzchak Yitzchakli." right? She says, this is a joke, right? Anyone who hears that I gave birth to this child at 90 years old is just going to crack up laughing. It's just literally the true definition of ridiculous, right? This is ridiculous. But you hear the joy in her tone as she's saying this, both shock, right? I imagine every day of her pregnancy, it was just, I just don't believe it. And then when the baby was born healthy, just shock, right? What is happening? And, and just saying it out loud, right? Well, this is such a joke. And then she continues, right? She literally can't get over it. And she says, Right, Everyone's just going to be like, this is nuts. Sarah can nurse a child. Sarah is literally nursing a baby. This is crazy. Right. And what's amazing them, a there say when she says Henika banim Sarah, she is nursing multiple children. Right. Banim is plural. And what's amazing there is that Rashi brings in a midrash to say that many women brought their children for Sarah to nurse almost as a test. Right. They almost felt like they they brought this baby in and were like faking it, that it was theirs. Literally, uh, you know, a secret surrogate concept. And what's the true test? Can she nurse a child, right? Because if you didn't just give birth, you can't possibly nurse a baby. So it was almost like a test that people were bringing other babies to nurse to see if she actually had milk, because they didn't even believe that she was the mom. But she says, I did it, right? the boy grows up and he's weaned. He finishes nursing. And Avram makes a huge party the day that Yitzhak is weaned. Now, back in the day, this was the norm, right? In today's times, I would say we usually do a big party um, at the Brit Milah. And it's a wonderful simcha and everyone is able, you know, to appreciate the joy. But back in the day, they didn't do it, not only because a Brit Milah was not the norm yet, but sadly, there were so many children and babies that didn't survive, right? We are so blessed. And I think we often take for granted the concept of formula, right? There were plenty of women that are not able to nurse their children and Nebach, what? does a child do? We are so blessed to live in a time that there are other alternatives. There are other things that women can do. And here they waited until the baby was weaned because that meant it survived. That meant it was healthy enough to survive on its own. And that was literally the party. So the assumption is he's around two or three years old, that they are now making this party to celebrate literally his life, that he is alive and surviving. And what happens? Pasuk T'het, an incredibly loaded pasuk. V'atera Sarah et ben Hagar Hamitzrit, asher La Avraham, mitzachik. I'm going to translate it literally, and then we'll talk about it. Sarah sees the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, the one that she gave birth to Avraham, mitzachik. Literally the word mitzachik. Means to laugh, right? It's the whole highlight of Yitzhak's name. So, what exactly is going on? Let's read one more Pasuk to, I think, appreciate it even a step further. Pasuk Tet. I'm sorry, good. Vatomer. And she says, La Avram to her husband Avram, Garesh ve v'etbina. Kick that woman out, right? Get rid of that servant. And her child, because I will not have that child inherit with my child, with Yitzhak. Right? Clearly, very emotional. Clearly intense. And it begs us to go back to Pasuk Tet and say, what the heck happened? Right? A kid is laughing and Sarah loses it. Sarah loses it to such an extent they have to be kicked out of the house, right? And again, before we even answer the question, I want to go just a little bit further to appreciate everything else that's going to happen. Right? This is a terrible thing in Avraham's eyes hearing this about his son, meaning we saw back in Perak Zion, when Sarah loses it about Hagar, he says. Asila right? Do whatever you want. Here it's Davar. This is terrible, right? Because this is his son now, right? Before it was Hagar, it was just the shifra, you know, that was pregnant. But this is his son. But who has to intervene? God has to get involved and say alirabeinach Oh, Avraham, it should not be so bad in your eyes about the boy or about the maidservant. Everything Sarah says, you should listen to. Because really all the promises I've made are going to come through Yitzchak. So now we have to go back and understand what the heck just happened, right? Hasuktet Tet didn't really sound so bad right? Sarah sees Ben Hagar HaMitzrit, Asher Yildel Avram Mitzachik. She sees Hagar's son laughing. And it's just, not only does it seem an, an extreme reaction of Sarah, but who validates Sarah? God. God totally validates sarah and is like, she's right. She's totally right. Kick him out. And it's like, wait, what? What just happened? Right, so Rashi brings in a uh, interesting midrash, even more interesting because it has a proof text for all of its theories, right? The midrash says, number one, he was committing murder. Number two, he was doing something sexually immoral, giloya Arayot. Or number three, he was doing a Zarah. Now, when you first read that Rashi, you're just like, well, those are also very extreme. (laughs) Not only are those very extreme, but that is a leap, right? A very large leap (laughs) from the word Mitzachek. But he actually brings proof texts and the concept of murder. He brings a proof text from Shmuel Bet of a war that the uh, leaders of war said, you know, we should let our armies mitzachik, we should let them play, right? But the idea there, it was, it was like a play on words, literally, you know, they should play, but go to war, and they do, but fair. Then for the concept of Avodah Zarah, he brings in the pr- proof text from Chet Ha'egel, and it actually says by Chet Ha'egel that the Jewish people, after they built the golden calf, that they ate, they drank, and then it says Mitzach Hakim. They were laughing and celebrating. And therefore, it must be some version of avodazara. And finally, for Giloya Ryo, for something sexually immoral, he brings in the story of Yosef and Eshet Potiphar when she accuses him, Litzachikbi, right? She says when she's crying rape, she says he was literally, you know, mocking me. In some way. So Rashi brings those three proof texts in, and I can hear why he's trying to make it seem so extreme, right? Because Sarah and God are treating it as so extreme. But it's, at least for me, it's still really hard for me to believe in this text that that's what Sarah sees him doing and has such an immediate reaction, right? Those are an extreme things for you to see a 15 to 17-year-old doing and have such a strong reaction to it, right? So for me, the Ramban, similar theme to Kain and Hevel, the Ramban, for me, just sees it so perfectly. And the Ramban actually highlights, not the word mitzachek. He highlights the way she refers to Ishmael. If you look at Pasuk Tet, his name is not there. His name is actually not in Pasuk Yod either, right? How is Yishmael referred to in all of these different sukim, even by different people? Only as Ben Hagar, right? Or Ben Hama Hazot. And for me, it always brings up, you know, I I assume it's not just in my family, but you know, if let's say, um, let's say my mom was mad at my brother, right, she won't say his name. She'll say, your brother did X, Y, and Z, right? You know, or when my dad is referring to my mom, your mother, you know, so on and so forth. It's almost like detaching themselves from the relationship, but also like associating the problem with the person they're bridging that connection to, right? So here, what does she call Yishmael? She doesn't say Yishmael or even your son, right? She said, Hagar's son, right? I want Hagar's son out of this house, right? Get rid of that servant and her son, right? If I really look at Tet and Yud, not only is Yishmael's name Never mentioned as an individual, but Hagar is all over the map, right? Hagar seems to be the problem, even though the action is clearly Ishmael. Right? So Ramban looks at this and is like, uh, something about that's weird, right? At ben Hagar Hamitsrit, and then Garisha Amahazot It's almost like ishmael's the afterthought. I want the woman out. And get her son out with him, right? It's it's clearly about her, not him. And the Ramban says, if we look at the word mitzachik, and we take it literally, right? He was laughing or mocking in some way, right? Very often, laughing, sarcasm, is making fun of something, right? Which is often funny. But we're making fun of something in particular. Ramban says, what was he making fun of? Yitzchak. He was either making fun of Yitzchak or making fun of the party. And it literally pushed Sarah's button. Right. Why does it push her button so much? Because I can imagine in the last 16 years, Hugger has tried to be a servant and she has tried to take on the role to Hitani and be willing to suffer and be willing to be talked down to. But who has she taught shouldn't be treat, treated in that way? Her son. She very much has been raising Ishmael to feel like he is not a servant. But the reality is, if she's a servant, it makes Ishmael a servant. And if Yitzhak is the child of Sarah, that means he should be on a higher status level than Yishmael. So she's watching Yishmael push Yitzchak's buttons in some way. And she looks at this and I can only imagine her scene of just, you've got to be kidding. I'm dealing with this, not just for me now, but also for my kid now I have to be protective that not only is my status understood and treated with that respect, but now her son is doing it to my son. No way. Right. I've held it in for 16 years and I can't hold it in anymore. Right. If he is Mitzachik, if he has that lack of respect to either make fun of Yitzhak, to make fun of this party, to not act as a servant he needs to go, right? But again, not about him. Pasuk Yud, Haama Az Hazot, right? I want that servant out of my house because she doesn't understand she's a servant. right? I don't see him as Avraham's son because that shouldn't be his status. His status is her son. So I want them both out. But I don't blame him. I blame his mother. I blame his mother for not explaining to him his role and clearly has pushed in him this belief that he's above this, right? And all of a sudden, Pastor now it also makes sense, Avram's reaction, because Avram is looking at it, you're right, technically, Hagar is a servant, but Alodopino, I see him as my kid, right? I see him as my kid, and so I don't see him as, as a servant. And so is this how it has to be? which is when God has to intervene again. And God says, yeah, Right? It is. It's the situation. It shouldn't be bad in your eyes. This is the system. This is how it works, Avraham. There's nothing to be sad about. You have to listen to her. She's 100% right. The only child of yours that isn't in a servant status is Yitzchak. And he is going to be the one with the continuum of the bracha. But, right, the story doesn't end there. Don't worry, Abraham, right? I imagine angst is building. And he says to him, this is still God talking in Pasuk Yud Gimel, V'gam et ben ha'mah. Notice how God refers to Yishmael, right? Not only does God not refer to him by name, he highlights his status also. But don't worry, that son of a servant, because he's still a servant, that son of that servant I will still make him into a great nation. He's your son too, right? I get it. Yishmael is this weird hybrid, right? He's partial son of Hagar, who is a servant, and partially yours, Avraham. And therefore, yes, he needs to be kicked out. He cannot be raised in the same house. His status is not the same status as Yitzchak, but he will still be a great nation because he's also yours, right? And yes, it's a promise of the future of becoming a great nation. But I imagine for Abram, the most important thing he's hearing right now he'll survive, he's gonna make it, he's gonna make it, and he's gonna become a great nation. That's how great he's gonna make it. So, Pasek Yedalid, Vayash came Avram Baboker. Avram gets up in the morning. Right. So the next morning, Abram gets up. He packs up provisions. Right. He gives them water, uh, jugs of water. He gives them food. He puts it in a backpack. puts it on Hagar's back with the boy, and he sends her off. And again, right. He's sending her. Right? You can feel that he doesn't see it as he's sending away Ishmael, which later in the text we see Ishmael's is back in the story. He's there for Avram's funeral. He was clearly still part of this family in some way. So he's sending her off, but it's her son. So the son is going with her. Right? Oh, sorry. Um, so they head out. And so they head out and they wander into the midbar of Beersheba. And then, they finish the water that's in the canteen. I will never understand the next two sukim well enough, but, she takes the boy and she puts him under a tree. And then she leaves. And she goes a bow and arrow, like if I were to shoot a bow and arrow, a bow's distance. The throw of shooting a bow and arrow distance away from him. Because she said, "Al I don't want to have to watch the boy die. She sits opposite. Batisa et she raises her voice and she cries, right? I think it's just a hard Pasek to understand because I think most of us just have a different nurturing side, right? Our own child or not, right? If someone is dying of dehydration, you you would want to be with them in their dying breath. You would not want to be. I, I can't witness it. I can't be there for this. I need to drop him a distance away so I don't have to be tortured by watching him die, right? I think, thank God, most of us have a certain level of humanity of saying, I just want the person to not feel alone. I just want to be with them for as long as I can. But a shocking reaction, right, which is why I love, actually, the next Psukim. Pasuk Yudzayin vaishma. God hears the voice of the boy. And that's also so powerful because the Pasuk didn't tell us he was crying, right? We have no idea if he's even conscious, right? According to the text, I would assume maybe he's already unconscious, right? Uh, he's dehydrating to such an extent. But it did tell us that she was crying, Right, it told us. Batisa at tef, She raised her voice and is crying. The text goes out of its way to say Hashem heard his cries, almost trying to say, "I'm ignoring yours because how ridiculous that you just dropped him across." Like, what were you thinking? Which is what he'll say in a second, right? Va'yikra malachalokim El min ha-shamayim. and then the angel calls out from the heaven and says, "Va'yomer malachagar." Literally, what is wrong with you, Hagar? Right? And I almost feel like the slap across her face and Magiela, she deserves it. Literally saying to her, what is wrong with you, Hagar? Right? Number one, you just dumped your kid under a tree across the way. Are you freaking kidding? Right? And his next piece, Altiri, don't be scared. Kishama elokim el hanar Basher Husham. Because God heard the cries of the boy as he is right here. Right? And that is a, a stunning rashi that's quoting a midrash on the words Baasher Husham, which many believe is the reason we read it on Rosh Hashanah, but we're gonna hopefully see a slightly different spin. But first we'll start with that rashi. Rashi asks the question by Asher Husham, right? Hashem heard the voice of the boy as he is right here. Unnecessary, right? That's an unnecessary phrase. Just tell me you heard the voice of the boy crying, right? I get it. I get it. He's dying of of, you know, dehydration. Of course you heard what he is right now. Says the Midrash that Rashi quotes, there were angels that were watching the scene and comes to God and says, God, what are you doing? Literally, opportunity knocks, God, right? We see the future of this boy. We see the future descendants of this boy. This is going to be a nation that is going to torture the Jewish people, right? Which, sadly, I think we can all relate to in our generation, right? This is a nation that will spill Jewish blood. God, opportunity knocks. All we have to do is let him die, right? Depraved indifference. We're not even being cruel. <laughs> we're not, we're not even being harsh here. He's going to naturally die. We're not doing anything. And God looks at these angels and he says, mm, right here, right now, in this moment, is he at Tzadik or Rasha? And I imagine that awkward, heavy silence before the angels respond, oh, Tzadik right right this second when he's crying to you and probably doing chuva and probably regretting every mistake he's made in his life and probably deciding ah oh, my future god if you let me live i'm going to be such a good person i'm going to fix my ways i'm going to be wonderful i'm going to be an angel literally so the angels respond to god oof fine he's at the right now but like let's look at the future Right? Why are we looking right now? And God says, That's not how I run the world. I run it as the person is right here, right now. And if they are doing tshuva properly, that's how I judge. Right? Which for us, for Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, is incredibly comforting, right? Because I think we all go through that internal struggle mentally. Wow, yes, I'm doing tshuva for all the times I spoke Lashon Hara and for all the things I didn't do and all the things I should have done. And I'm so sorry, but God, you're God. So you probably know that during the break in shul, I'll probably bump into my best friend and we probably will speak Lashon Hara, not even purposely. It will just come out. I'll just complain about my kid because I had a rough morning. And you're going to hear my chuva now, right? You're going to listen to me. Why would you listen to me if I'm going to mess up? In an hour, in five minutes, in 10 minutes. Why would you accept my tzvilot on Yom Kippur, especially if it's annually? I said I'm sorry last year for the exact same mistakes that I keep making over and over again. And therefore, 100% the power of those three words, basher husham, is incredibly comforting. That God will judge me and dictate what should be my reward or punishment for the future year, as I am in that moment in shul, when I'm saying or I'm sorry, God, however, wherever I say it, right? So is incredibly significant, even if it's somewhat painful for us to hear here, also knowing their future. But Hashem says to her, you know, must speak. It's fine. I'm going to answer his prayers. Therefore, Pasukirchet, kumi si'iyatanar, get up. Right? I imagine he's looking at her like, what kind of mother? Get yourself up and si'iyatanar, go pick that boy back up. Right? How dare you leave him alone on that other side? Vahachaziki et yadechbo. Hold his freaking hand. Right? Where are you, mom? Kilagoi Gatola I'm going to make him a great nation. And this isn't the first time you're hearing this. Hagar, Pasuk alokim God opens her eyes, be'er mayim, and she sees a well. And to me, this Pasuk is almost just as striking as Baasher Husham because it reminds us. This wasn't miraculous, right? This wasn't Hashem made a well to save Yishmael. God didn't even go out of his way that much. All that happened is he helps Hagar see the well that was there the entire time, right? Which is another incredible message as we go into Rosh Hashanah. That so often we are praying for something. We are crying over it. We are literally pouring out our heart and soul over our request from God. And sometimes I can almost hear HaKadosh ha- ha- Baruch Hu saying, I don't need to make a miracle for that to happen, sweetheart. You just need to open your eyes. Your solution is mamash right in front of you. It's before your eyes. You're just missing it. You just need to literally open your eyes to see it. And when she does, she goes she refills the jug of water and she brings water to the boy etanar God was with the boy he grows up Vehi rove at they uh, literally spend the rest of their time living in the midbar he becomes an incredible. Um, I'm losing my English, the person who shoots a bow and arrow. Uh, Okay, I'll look it up after. Archer, thank you. (laughs) Thank you, Maddie, I read your lip. I hope that was right, but I think that is right. (laughs) An archer. Um, They live in Bar Paran, and he marries a girl from Mitzrayim. And now we have to unpack this whole Hagar piece because we started this whole idea with saying she must have been spectacular, right? She was this amazing woman who they chose to be the mother of Avraham's children. She is this incredible woman that angels speak to multiple times. She's a woman that God opens her eyes to see the air. So what happened? What happened to this woman? Because we don't look at her. At the end of the story, with all this love and glory, and we don't hear about her again. This is the end of her story. So what exactly happened? And what I'd like to highlight is the concept of the bracha she keeps getting from God, right? She is told at least twice, I'm going to make your son into a great nation. And what's so interesting is the second day reading of Rosh Hashanah Davning that I didn't put here just because I knew we wouldn't have the time, is the story of the Akedah, is the next chapter in Chumash, Paragraf Bet, when Avraham is told years later to bring Yitzhak as a Karban, as an olah to God. And Avraham doesn't hesitate. And he takes him to Har HaMoriah to bring him as a carbon. Now, ultimately, God doesn't demand it of him and Yitzchak lives, but it's such a stark contrast, these two prekim, because Avraham and Hagar both got the exact same promise. They were told that their child was going to be a great nation and God himself said it to both of them and what's incredible is when the going got tough for Hagar she literally drops her child under a tree to say I can't watch this ending not for me I can't handle it and when Avraham is told to be the one to do the action right not just you're gonna have to hold his hand through it but you're going to have to be the one that will end his story, he does it with full-on faith. Because the key difference between Avraham and Hagar in these two stories is faith. They were both told the exact same thing, but she could not hold on to the faith to be able to believe it would be okay. Okay. And because she lost that level of Emunah and that faith, all falls on the wayside. And to me, that is so much a part of us entering Rosh Hashanah and why we read these two stories in parallel on the two days in Shul. Because the going gets tough for all of us, right? It is always easy. To have the faith in the amazing times and to say, "I believe in those wonderful moments," but it's in those challenging moments that we really have to hold on, right? The pasuk in Tehillim says, "Right, Tov Dot alyon." Right, I could sing the praises of God, Hagid right in the morning. I say, look at that sunrise, look how stunning, God is amazing. But what's the challenge? <laughs> to hold on to the faith at night. Because night is dark and it's sometimes hard to believe the sun is gonna rise again in the morning. But that is what true faith is about. And that is why Avraham becomes the Avhamon Goyim. He is the father of our nation because he was able to hold on to that faith, even in the night, even in the darkest times, even in the hardest times. And Hagar, when it was bokeh, when it was light out, when it was wonderful, yep, I believe God, right? I pray to you, I talk to you, and I was given these blessings. But when the going got tough, she couldn't hold on to the faith. And I think for us, as we enter into Rosh Hashanah, it's a reminder that the year will bring all different types of things and hopefully that we can hold on to that faith similar to Avraham much more than of Hagar. And I want to end with one one uh, quote that uh, there's an excellent book called Return by Erica Brown. Oh, wow, typo. Sorry, it's not Eric Brown. Erica Brown. So sorry, I will fix that typo and resend it out for everyone. And she asks the question in the book, why is the word shuvah, the word of repentance, right? There's so many other words that would capture it, right? So she says shuv means to return. Why not capture repentance with a Hebrew word for change or transformation? What are we returning to when we return I believe the language signifies the most profound possible meaning of repentance in Jewish life. It's not about change alone. It's returning to the best self that one can be, acknowledging that every person has already achieved transcendence at some point, that we all know who we are when we are our best selves. We know what that looks and feels like, and now we just have to recapture it. And I think especially in our four classes that we spent a lot of time on cain and now we spend some time on Hagar. It's about appreciating that Kikarovela Khadavar, right from this last week's parsha, the mitzvah of chuva is lo chokahi. It's not far, it's not out there. It's really close to us. It's about reconnecting literally to us. That kayan and hagar remind us through positive and negative that we all have it inside us. It's about retapping into that. And so my blessing to all of us as we go into Rosh Hashanah is number one, to hold on to that faith, but number two, to be able to find our best selves because we all do know how it feels when we're in a really great place and we're doing wonderful things to recapture it and to be able to say and look at HaKadosh Baruch Hu to God and say, you're right, I know exactly who I'm supposed to be. If I saw myself the way you see me, I'd never mess up again. And so I hope that all of us can see ourselves the same way that HaKadosh Baruch God looks at all of us and we're able to make him proud and proud of ourselves in that same way. And please, God, looking forward to learning again after the Sukkot break. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pleasure.